Insight and Awareness Spiritual Explorer. Soul Intuitive, Emotional and Spiritual Mentor and Award-Winning Author, Lorraine Nylon. Welcome, Explorers. Thank you for being part of the adventure. And today our guest is Stephanie Sarazen. She's a writer, a grief educator, and the author of Soul Broken, guidebook for your journey through ambiguous grief. Thank you for being a guest. I'm very excited to talk to you. And could you tell us why, what led you to write this book? Oh, well, hello, Lorraine, and thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm really delighted to be in conversation with you. Uh, you know, what led me to write the book is that it was the book I needed but couldn't find. And uh, I searched uh, high and low. I asked for recommendations, referrals, and it, it, there, was, there are always so many terrific choices that were recommended but not in a cohesive one-part um, experience, you know, and so I I felt compelled to, as I moved further into my healing and and was working earnestly um, toward that, to just to be very aware of what was and wasn't working for me, which is so subjective. It was just my experience, you know. But I I took I took a lot of notes. I wrote and journaled and and really kept a record. And so uh, years later, it it all came together and um, is the book Soul Broken. So, so if I was going to pick up Soul Broken, who's your, who's your audience? What, who's looking for this book? So I would say anybody who has gone through the experience of grieving a loved one, they've lost, but not to a physical death. So when a a relationship changes, an important relationship changes, this isn't when your barista, you know, transfer (laughs) stores or your postal carrier switches routes, but where there's been an intimacy in relationship, whether it's from your family of origin with a parent or a sibling, a grandparent, um, maybe it's a best friend um, or partner spouse, you know, an, an otherwise intimate relationship when that person for a myriad of reasons is no longer as they once were and the relationship is no longer as it once was we don't have the societal norms that we do with a physical death and yeah. how do we grieve that how do we know how to support one another going through this so whether you've had that experience of grieving somebody who is still alive or somebody you care about is going through that experience the book includes my own story as well as a compilation of many others from people I've interviewed over the years as well as data uh, I've conducted from surveys and actionable steps things that may or may not work for you it, even things that didn't work for me I include because maybe maybe that will work for you and I think that's the the thing that people need to acknowledge is when you are you know when you're in a traumatic experience and whatever you class as a traumatic experience and if you are grieving a loss of anything and actually I was talking to someone about your book and she said that she used to work with um, special ed children and she said a lot of the parents were grieving the child they thought they were going to have and they were really struggling so she she's she thought you know it's a really good way of even looking at that as well that's 
Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, Lorraine, you're the first person to mention that to me in a number of conversations I've had, right, since the book has come out. And what's so um, divine about you mentioning that is, is that I am a special needs sibling. So right. growing up, I was experiencing ambiguous grief. I was, I was experiencing it in my household, not knowing what it was. Uh, you know, my, my brother, um, Eric was born with, um, severe special needs and never walked, never spoke a word. And yet he has been my life's greatest teacher. And mm -hmm. as I was writing the book in 2021 and, um, you know, through its edits in 2022, before it was published, it occurred to me, oh my goodness, I've had ambiguous grief has been a part of my life far longer than I understood it to be. And so in Eric, Eric died in June, just a few weeks oh. ago. And um, I'm so grateful that I had that realization um, while I could still talk with him about it. Yeah, that's brilliant. And, and I'm sorry for your loss too. And it, it, it is one of those things. I think the reality is that we've all lived with this type of grief and not realised it. You know, I, I make jokes about I thought everyone went home to the Waltons or the Brady Bunch kind mm. of families and then you then you sort of, you know, ours was slightly dysfunctional and I, I used to, you know, but you are comparing and grieving that you think that's the life you should be having. And you've got this whole, it's not real, but it's the, so you can sometimes have that grief based on an illusion as well. Oh, absolutely. That's so insightful. And so many of us do because we're living in a reality that isn't living up to what we, <laughs> what we think it should be. Um, when again, it's just a false judgment, you know, to begin with, we're not, we're not, we're not working with um, apples to apples here. Yeah, and that's what you get in a lot of, you know, especially people that are in narcissistic relationships and things like that as well, is you're 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 yes. trying to create the relationship that you think's healthy and you've got a partner that's not meeting you halfway or anywhere on the on the plate actually. So so you start grieving what you think and then then people turn it on themselves and start so blaming often. themselves. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I think until we can better understand what we're experiencing isn't a failure or isn't, you know, mild disappointment. It's grief. And yeah. until we're able to really kind of put our arms around that and and honor it and experience grief, yeah. um, you know, we're we're carrying extra weight with us um, that we don't need to. And it's not yeah. easy, of course, you know, it, it if somebody had kind of said to me early on, oh, it's going to be okay. You, you know, it's, it's really, it's going to be fine. It's nothing I would have wanted to hear, you know, uh, because of course, if you've lost somebody you love to a physical death or, you know, an, what I call an activating event. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I right? like that. <laughs> yeah, an activating event. Yes, <laughs> yes. I, I really like that. <laughs> And there are so many, right? And yeah. so when you experience that, whether it is, you know, in my personal situation, it was uh, the discovery that my marriage wasn't what I thought it was. It, the yeah. illusion you're talking about, right? And and then a subsequent divorce. Um, but, you know, what I learned as I was trying to find people who could talk to me about their experience, oh, Lorraine, I was so surprised to find that nobody knew anybody who could 
you know, speak to me about a similar experience. I was, I was looking for somebody. I certainly knew I wasn't the first person to go through this experience and, and was looking for somebody to kind of say, Oh, listen, this, I, I went through this five years ago, 10 years ago. Here are my notes. Here's what you do. You know, here, here is what might help you feel a little bit better because without societal norms to, you know, engage us and help us know what to do, um, as we would with a physical death, yeah. people, people kind of scatter. And so, you know, for me, again, it was d- divorce, um, discovery and divorce, but familial estrangement, uh, substance abuse disorder, addiction, you know, um, indoctrination to a cult or gang, Alzheimer's, dementia, cognitive decline, um, you know, mental health, uh, incarceration. There are just a number of things, you know, job loss and empty nesting um, mm. aren't, aren't, uh, you know, traumatic per se um, for most people, but they change the relationship and can activate ambiguous grief where all of a sudden, and, you know, right now, um, lots of, uh, students are going, leaving the nest and going off to college or going off to, you know, life outside of their childhood home. And, and I'm hearing from a lot of parents and I'm delighted to be hearing from men too, who are saying, I didn't expect this. Wow. I didn't expect this. I, I, is this normal? You know, and so it's great that we're talking about it more. And, and hopefully the more we're talking about it, we'll be able to identify that what we're experiencing is grief. It's ambiguous grief, yeah. but it's grief. And I, I think there's a couple of t- different types to it because you have the the shock one that, you know, like you are like you're activating events that put you into a state of shock because what you thought couldn't happen just did. You know, something you expected never to experience, you're now experiencing. That that could be anything from a natural disaster to discovering your husband's having an affair or mm-hmm. or, you know, any kind or your you know, your your um source of income drying up. And then, then you have the creepers where you have these little events all along and you you're losing a little bit of yourself to it all the way along. And then you, you kind of need that brick wall the activating event mm-hmm. and then then what you do is you grieve all the times you didn't self-support and and that's what I see happens in this kind of traumatic experiences if if someone dies you've got people around you that are saying I I understand that you're hurting I'm here to support you whether it's with a casserole standing beside you through the whole journey when it's this kind of grief it's like it either triggers other people and they go off into their reactions to it. So mm-hmm. so you're there witnessing somebody else telling you their story mm-hmm. and, and it's you, you know, or you have all that kind of thing. Or everyone starts to withdraw. So you do have that and you know, annihilation not annihilation, where that where you feel really isolated. Isolated. You're absolutely right. You speak like you might know this experience or you've seen Oh, I know this experience. Yes. (laughs) I'm nearly a professional at this experience. (laughs) I'm thinking, hmm, this is uh, this is this is good. Yes. And and to your point of isolation, you know, depending on what the activating event is or when when one realizes, whether the shock wears off a little or or what have you. If there is shame and embarrassment mm. associated with this loss, if if we internalize it as shame and embarrassment, so often the griever will isolate 
and tell little to no, no, nobody, you know, for me personally, I, I learned this in my own experience. Had there been a physical death, I would have called friends and family immediately, but mm. in a discovery and then moving forward to start understanding divorce and how to move forward with that. I told one trusted friend and my therapist who I found the day after discovery. Right. I told only those two people for three months, for three months. I, I, and it wasn't so much that I felt shameful or embarrassed of my decision to, to move forward uh, and, and to divorce. I didn't, I didn't want to talk about it because I didn't want to be talked about. Yeah. Right. Because I just, uh, this is the kind of thing that we see on, you know, uh, made for TV movies and it's salacious and it's, it makes a good story, but when it's happening to you and your, your reality has been inverted and it is, it is like going through a fun house and everything (laughs) is distorted, like a not so fun, fun house. Yeah, I get it. And the ground is moving from underneath you. It's no longer stable. You don't trust the world around you. You don't tr- yeah. trust yourself. You certainly don't trust this story, such a personal story, whether it's, you know, that you're divorcing due to uh, discovery or a child is struggling with substance abuse and has run away from home and you don't know where they are, right? Yeah. Like that, that's a very real experience that people are having. I actually, I... I interviewed a a brilliant, wonderful woman um, a few years ago who was grieving her husband who had been incarcerated and she hadn't told anyone. He was three years into a five-year sentence and she was hoping, thanks to COVID, she was was grateful COVID provided some cover. (laughs) Right. Right? Because (laughs) she was ashamed and embarrassed to... And, and protective of her loved one. She didn't yeah. want others to know. So they would be fodder for community gossip. So, you know, again, if we internalize this loss in any form of way as shameful or embarrassing to us, isolation is exactly where the griever ends up. And that's a very lonely, hard place to be when you're grieving. Well, it is because the the problem is, is you start ruminating. So instead of moving forward, you're stuck in that thought process. And then, and that's why I say, you know, people turn it on themselves because they start identifying everything that they feel that they've even contributed to. And a lot of time, like when I'm working with my clientele, it's sometimes I'll pull it apart and say, that's because you've got a caring heart. You know, like you forgave that, you, you ignored that, not because you're stupid, but because you were trying to give the benefit of the doubt. You're trying to give grace. You were trying to do all these mm-hmm. things to to protect the relationship that you valued that you know and that can happen with friends and things like that you know somebody says oh they're talking about you behind your back and you go no you've you've taken it out of context so we I would say like reality should be in our face and our belief systems back here but the problem is we put our belief systems up close the reality is behind it and then we fill in the gap with the story we want to tell ourselves that's exactly right 
Yeah, and, and, and that, that's what sh- shocks us is when that all falls apart, we go, but I thought I knew. Right, right. And that if that narrative may not serve us, right? No matter no. what that narrative may be, if it is giving grace and acting in love and doing what you think you should be doing, you know, even yeah. if you're acting in the, the best interest of the relationship, uh, you're right. You're so right. The belief and the reality are, are kind of in the wrong order. Yeah, yeah. And I, I try to... In- sometimes you've got to convince people be self-supporting and it's not being selfish but be self-supporting if you're sacrificing something of yourself ask yourself why Mm, yes Mm -hmm. and you know when you say that you know this is a a place where people can get stuck I I paint the picture of quicksand and (laughs) if we ruminate and we're in this space of rumination for too long then it actually becomes a diagnosable condition. It can come become a yeah. diagnosable condition, which is complicated grief disorder um, or, or prolonged grief disorder. And in that sense, you are in quicksand and your, your, your grief is now kind of molding and defining your day and defining your life and your script is going and going and going. And what if I did this or what if I did that? And, and what I discovered in my data dive was that for people who are grieving someone who's still living, there was one commonality that I suspected, and then the data showed, is that hope continues to emerge. And when hope keeps popping up, which which if you think about it, we're not when our loved one dies a physical death, and you know we have the funeral and we do the rituals, and we understand that they're not going to come and call us tomorrow or ring the doorbell and apologize or ask, you know, for a reconciliation or explain themselves, you know, um, we understand that they're no longer as they were once. And, um, but when a, when a loved one has not had a physical death, the ambiguous grievers are hoping and hope is a wonderful, beautiful thing. I, I understand we need that for our human experience in so many ways. Yeah, definitely. And yet for people in ambiguous grief, if you are focused too much on hoping for the other person, hoping that, well, maybe I could find the right, maybe, maybe my parent needs the right doctor and the right, a different diagnosis, or maybe my child needs a different treatment center, or if I could just do this, or if I could do that, what could I do to change it? It's busy work to try to bring our loved one back to restore the relationship as it, as it was, but that is what gets us stuck in the quicksand. And when we're in that quicksand, we can't just like quicksand, we can't extract ourselves. When you're experiencing prolonged grief disorder, you need the help of a professional of a clinician to help move you through and out of that quicksand. And, and one way for grief to start to be acknowledged of course first of all is to know know what it is so you can name it yeah and and it secondly it's to have it witnessed you know yeah. and when we can witness grief just one person if one yeah. person can stand in in observation uh, and bear witness to the love that was and has now changed it can be such a freeing beautiful opportunity event experience you know for the griever who didn't get to deliver a eulogy or receive, you know, comments and condolences. And, and once we have that, Lorraine, I find that it's, 
it's a little easier to shift hope internally, to take it off the external and bring it back to ourselves. I, I think that's a really important point is that hope's good as long as it's focused for you. If it's focused on an external, because I've worked a lot with um, abuse victims, childhood abuse, sexual abuse victims, and a lot of them have, you know, that's where, you know, that they really educated me on this desire, especially if it's a, you know, family member, that there will be a sorry and a, a you know, heartfelt, I'm sorry, remorse for what it, what occurred, which, which rarely happens, rarely, rarely happens. Yeah. And it's like it shift that hope back to you that that you start hoping that you feel good about who you are because you can manage that you can start putting in place different events and steps and thought processes that can can feed that but waiting for someone else but we do that we seem to naturally orientate to wanting that that sense of we're looking for completion I always say sometimes when we've you know think of it like a circle and if the circle's not completely closed if you don't give yourself a way of understanding that, it leaves a gap. And what you'll do is is you'll fill that gap with something that may not serve you. Exactly um, right. That's right. Yeah. And and you know, it's also uh it's just it's difficult, isn't it? Because yeah. for many people, that gap that's left is is sometimes grief. And grief is all we have left of our loved yeah. one. The feeling of grief, um, that that sadness or the overwhelm or whatever the experience of longing might be for an individual, might be all that we have left to tether us to that yeah. relationship that no longer is. And so we hold on despite <laughs> the rug burns, the rope burns that are happening, and you know it's like we're just we're holding on <laughs> yeah. and we're yeah, getting we're dragged. Us. Yes, we're we're clingers. Clingers, yeah. Right to what? Because that has changed, and so just being able to shift is such big work. To just shift a little bit out of that that trajectory, so that we can create a new path and co-create, you know, with our higher power, with our universe, with our loved ones, the life we want. Yeah. Well, and it's funny what we cling to because if you break it down a lot of time, it's our expectation of what should be. So, you know, <laughs> you, get, you know what we should have, how that should have worked, and then we get stuck oh. on the why. Why did it? Why did it? And I can remember um, I had a mm. very close friend. We were like sisters and there was, a, there was a falling out that sort of drifted in and I can remember being with another friend and you know, I was ruminating. I was ruminating mm-hmm. like there was no tomorrow. And she said to me, yeah, it's just unfathomable what's occurred. And I was like, oh, my God, that's what it is. I can't fathom this. I can't get my head around it. And as soon as she said that, it was like I could put an understanding to what I was experiencing, which was grief. I didn't know it was grief at the time. But it was like, yeah, and it was someone saying, oh, this is what I can see. And I went, yeah, this is unfathomable. Yes. Then I could come to peace with it a little bit. Right. And, and, and I think something that we're so inclined to do is to search for that happy ending or the silver Mm. lining, or we're looking for, you know, if we're ruminating, we might be saying, well, what if I had done this? Or if I had done that, or, and of course we know that doesn't serve us, It, but it keeps us spiraling. But instead, if, you know, we might be thinking, 
if we could shift and say, well, okay, so it's, this is the word I have for it now. And, and to have it validated must've felt so oh, relieving. good for you. Yes. 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 Relieving. And, and again, that goes to my point of just one person who can witness mm. what you're experiencing, witness your grief and validate that for you is, yeah. is liberating. It's, it's relief. And so if we're isolating and not talking about what it is we're grieving, whether it's the friend we've lost, the relationship with a parent or a child or a neighbor or a spouse, whatever it is, if we're not talking about it to anybody, if we're not processing it, it's going to weigh us down. And whether I love your circle analogy, whether we mm. admit it or not, our circle will never be closed. Yeah. And we, and we, and we have to, if, if you can, you know, if you can put it in perspective for yourself, which is part of the process, you know, everyone's going to go through that ruminating stage. It's just, what we do but it's then and you can use that as gathering information about what you know when you sort of poke your head out a little bit of it you can go oh this had me and this had me that they're jump points to go and explore why that you know why was I clinging to that expectation you know why why did I think it was working this way why did I ignore all those red flags Yes. And and, in, and and not beat yourself up but actually go in there and explore and all of a sudden you've got a self-discovery, self-development path unfolding in front of you. You're exactly right. And and I didn't know this before my own experience, but I am a firm believer that grief is a portal to our greatest and highest selves if we allow it. Yeah, and, I agree. And, and we may not have the language to allow it. We may not know how to allow it. It might be too painful to allow it. As you talk about getting in there and kind of unpacking it and mm. asking those questions about your own behavior and your own choices. It's, it's and the painful. catch is then not to turn straight and beat yourself up. You know, we have to, we have to be gentle. We have to give ourselves grace. We're, we're doing the best we can, we're learning. Yeah. You know? and, and that's, you're right. It, it, but it, so if you do beat yourself up, if you do <laughs> lament and kick rocks and you think, how could I have? You no, it's know. part of the process. Yeah, Part of the process. process. And being able to acknowledge it is the win. Yeah. That's the I, win. I think I think when you are coming out of experiences like, uh, like these, because the sad part is a lot of people never do. You know, they get right. stuck and, um, you know, and Debbie, De- Dr. Debbie Silver talks about that, you know, stage three people get they feel better. They're starting to relieve some of the pressure, but they they're still in that telling the story and living the story. And yeah. it will be the same story for twenty years. I heard yeah. that episode. Yes, and yes. and and that story is fixed, and it doesn't change. And this and and whether it happened ten or twenty years ago, it's the same. It's told the same way, and that is it's so sad, truly, because that's somebody who is in the quicksand. Oh, absolutely. That's a, that's a horrible way to be, you know, for you because you're hurting yourself constantly. And and that's the problem is that we don't recognize it, but you're actually sitting there hurting yourself, hurting yourself, hurting yourself. And then we get addiction addicted to the hurt. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And we inflict more trauma on ourselves Mm. through this way. It's like a bandaid. If we can, once we're able to identify, Oh, Maybe I should look at what I've experienced here. Maybe I should look at my choices. And 
you know, really, if you're, if you're aware that you might be starting down the path of doing this work, hold the course, right? Hold that line, stay there is my best advice to people. You know, if you, once you have that in your awareness, oh, hold on to it because it, it will be hard and painful most likely, but in the long run, it is just ripping off the bandaid. Yeah, as for sure. Compared to the, you know, yeah, the, the, the other the options. Yeah, and I think I always say to clients because sometimes you know, I can see they're ready to run. Like emotionally, it's too confronting, and I'll say to them, "If you're at the point where you think you've got to run because this is emotionally hard, that's mm-hmm. the time you stop." And you just stand there. Don't uh, don't expect anything from yourself. Don't don't try and fix it. Just right. acknowledge that this is this is a this is this is the wild part. And, oh. just, and let yourself absorb it. Absorb it a little bit and observe it a lot. Oh, that's brilliant. Absorb yeah. it a little and observe it a lot. I will yeah. remember that. That's brilliant. And you know, something that I find was it was helpful to me and I'm hearing such wonderful feedback about is in terms of being helpful to others is when you get to that space and you can observe and ask yourself what is it that you need Mm, oh and just listen listen to yourself answer you what do I need right now for me what I needed Lorraine was a societal norm that didn't exist I felt like a widow, but I wasn't right. treated like one. You mentioned the casseroles. I, I get on my casserole tangent now and again. And, <laughs> you know, I had a, a marriage that I had loved uh, 20 years. And, and yet when this happened, I didn't have the opportunity to go through any of those societal norms I mentioned and I hadn't didn't have the casseroles delivered. And I'm thinking, why? And then I find myself feeling jealous of widows, which is, I mean that with no disrespect. I'm, yeah, I'm I get it. vulnerably, on, honestly, I'm sharing. I thought, oh, look, yes, it's so horrible and awful. I lost my husband too, in a different way. Yeah. And nobody is acknowledging this. And, yeah. and I'm, uh, so, so what I needed was a ritual. I needed a funeral. And so I created, I invited two people only. Mm-hmm. And uh, I call this in the book, I write about a faux funeral. And mm-hmm. if we can bring ritual and create what we need for us. And so I, I, I curated the music and the poetry and the readings, and I wrote a eulogy for my marriage. And with the two friends who knew my marriage up close the best, um, I, you know, had watched it for a number of years, I, I asked them to come and they spoke. And then at the end, you know, we, I received them. I, I received their condolence. And it was such a relief for me to be witnessed in that way. Because again, as you said in the beginning, so many people, when these different activating events happen for ambiguous grievers, people flee. It, it, yeah. might, be, it might be difficult because it triggers something within them, or maybe they just don't know what to do with it. Or, yeah. you know, it's, we don't have language. We, we're not 
where we need to be yet. Um, but I think we're moving in the right direction to better help people, one another and ourselves through this. Yeah. And and what, what do you think would be the, if, if you've got a friend that is experiencing that, what's the greatest thing you can do for them? Validate. Okay. Validate. Yeah. And, you know, you are a beautiful example of sharing your, your friend validating mm. yours by just saying it's unfathomable. And yeah. so, you know, not trying, we, again, we're so silver lining, um, you know, motivated here. We don't want to see our friends in pain and hurting. So we look for solutions, but really that's not what they're looking for. If, if a friend, if somebody, you know, and love is going through a, a time of ambiguous grief saying, this sounds so hard. This is really hard. Yeah. Is so comforting, you know, to say, what can I do for you? We don't want to do that. That just puts the onus on the griever to now come up with something to do, you know, but um, depending on the situation, just, you know, tune in to your friend, what might they need? Might they need, a, you know, ice cream delivered? Might they need a friend to sit with? Might they, and you can say, you know, would you like any of these three things? And then you give them three choices. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you're, you know, um, but it's not for, and it's not a problem any good hearted friend, well-meaning friend can solve as much as we might want to. Absolutely. Because I think the, the worst thing you can do is try to come in and fix someone because then it becomes about your control and, and what you want to do. And the, and the one thing right. I explain to a lot of people is pain of any type is so personal. I can try to explain my pain to you, but you're not going to fully understand my pain and I'm not going to fully understand your pain. So That's we, right. we can have a bit of a theme, but it's so personal. So it's like it's just acknowledge that I, I see you going through it. I don't, I, I'm here for you. And then exactly. Yeah, it is. It's just as intimate as the relationship you're grieving, you know, Mm. um, whether it's your best friend again, or your spouse, it is, nobody knows the intimacy of that relationship other than the people involved in the relationship. And so we can't compare them to our own, you know, and I was recently speaking and talking about how a, a child who is grieving the rehoming of his beloved dog, a six-year-old child grieving the rehoming of the the beloved dog, and um, a woman, uh, an elderly woman grieving the physical death of her husband. You know, when, for so many of us, when you think about those two individuals grieving, we tend to give more weight to the elderly woman who spent decades with her husband who has now died. But we can't judge. We can't. We can't infer based on on limited data, much less you know all all the data, unless we were in it. Because perhaps that woman uh, had been abused for decades and was feeling yeah. more than anything relief, relief. <laughs> that he had died. We yeah. don't know. And here, as a six year old child who has had no grief, but has now suddenly lost his best friend, how? how can we weigh that? Yeah, you can't compare it. We can't compare. We don't know. To your point, we don't know. 
Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. And it and it's just, yeah, just be respectful that that person's feeling pain, even for circumstances that you think shouldn't be major. If it's major to that person, that's, that's a, you just respect that. Absolutely. And, and conversely, I'll add, um, because this, this is coming up quite a bit recently. Um, if, if somebody isn't grieving the way you think they should be grieving, right. Um, that's really not for any of us to decide. And, you know, the language, the technical language is mourning, right? Mourning is public grief. So if you see somebody posting, you know, on social media that they are going on with their life and smiling, um, maybe even traveling, it's not cause for alarm because Mm. maybe you wouldn't do that after, you know, the loss of your parent uh, to a physical death, but they, this person can, and that's not in, that doesn't need an intervention. But again, we are so quick to put our own personal experience and to project that on to what somebody else should be or shouldn't be doing in grief. Our expectation of what (laughs) right. Based on what? We're not sure. You know exactly, what I mean. Exactly. <laughs> right. We really need to mind our own kitchen and do our own work because I think that I would guess um, if we all uh, just took a look inside, we'd find something along the way in our lifetime that we have grieved and not yet processed. Right. For sure. So we can do our own work. Yeah, that for, for sure. So I'm going to ask you the question I ask everyone on the podcast. What do you think humanity needs to acknowledge and understand for us to evolve? Mm. Oh, I think it's just such a beautiful question, first of all. Um, what do we need to acknowledge and understand? I think we need to acknowledge that we are capable of learning so much. Yeah. And in our learning, we are able to help one another co-create the life we we want to live. I think that I think that grief is truly an opportunity to not only you know provide that opportunity for personal reflection and personal growth and spiritual evolution. But I think it is an opportunity as we better understand our grief and are able to more fully and compassionately show up for others in their grief. Mm. I think that's how we have a real opportunity to move humanity forward. I think we can move human consciousness forward when we understand, you know, so much of what we've been talking about, right? That it we are in pain and pain is a part of being human and isn't something to turn from, but turn to. And when yeah. we can turn toward our pain and know we are supported even by one person. Yeah. I think we can really do incredible, powerful things for humanity and really level up our whole experience i i love that because i think that if i look at it if the uniqueness of that person and of what they're experiencing is supported not not completely directed but you know supported to let them go through their personal process of whatever that is 
is then then there's a there's a sense of security in being able to explore. That's right. Because as soon as we go into you should think this, you should do that, this is how it's gonna work, you'll be fine, you'll get there. All those things, they don't they don't help anyone. But if you if you just some sometimes it's um just standing beside someone. You don't even have to say anything. That's and you right. just go, let them do their thing, but they know that you're there. And you and validate that, and say, this is so hard. This seems yeah. so hard. This looks so hard, you know, and and uh, that validation can just be so affirming. It, it can be. And, it, and a lot of people are grieving stuff they don't understand. You know, you can have any type of relationship. Oh. You know, it could be a work colleague. It could be a, a best mm-hmm. friend. It could be a relation, you know, of any type. And all of a sudden something's changed and that person has no idea why. So, right. And then they've got no access to talk to them because the other person's not talking or they're not being honest. So they feel a huge difference in the relationship, but they can't put their finger on what, yes. what it happens. What and happens. you know what you're describing so beautifully. I don't know if you've seen this film. It was out this past year, The Banshees of Inna Sharon. It is, it is, it it was a darling of the Oscars and it's, um, I believe it's an Irish film. It's certainly set in Ireland and just, you know, um, top level design and, and direction and cast. Oh, it's incredible. And it is about two male friends, adult males on a remote island off the coast of, um, Ireland at the turn of the last century. So early 1900s. And one friend says to the other, I just don't want to be your friend anymore. The whole film goes through its ambiguous grief personified here on, on the big screen. And it's so brilliantly done. They never mention that he's grieving or that it's ambiguous grief, but you see the hope that I mentioned earlier, you see, you know, one character direct all his hope toward if I could just fix me or understand what I did to fix it, or if you would just tell me the other person isn't interested. And it is, it is, it is a film to watch Lorraine. I highly recommend it. I will be watching it, Stephanie. Don't you worry. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's interesting because, you know, like I see a lot of people then they're really struggling with it because they, they can't close the gap in the circle because they don't understand what actually happened. And you have the drift, you have friends that you drift away from, but when you see them again, you're friendly, you know, like it's just circumstances and mm-hmm. that's not what I'm talking about. It's, it's, it's this real sort of change. And a lot of the time it's just the person themselves that has created the change is struggling so much within themselves that they're, they're, sh- they're pushing everybody away. You know, it's not necessarily because of that person. You're right. just in the, you know, in the part of the push out and um, and that you know a lot of times those people trying to recreate something or you know and feel they've shifted blame possibly where the blame doesn't need to oh, be. You're so right. Yes, and yeah. and again, if we're if if a friend feels embarrassed or doesn't you know doesn't want to talk about it because they don't want to be perceived as talking about the friend that they're trying to rectify things with. It just becomes this, you know, this, this chicken or egg situation, this horrible loop. And, and so then maybe they don't speak about it. And, 
they don't know that they're not alone. They don't know yeah. other people are going through this, right? So, and and they're to your point, they're just the collateral damage in somebody else's story. It's not anything they did or didn't do. It's a, it's yeah. not about them. But that's so hard to understand, oh. right? And yeah. and I think we do such. It's so interesting. When I started looking at social media, it was terrific for this to see we do such a great job at celebrating our beginnings. You name the beginning and it's, you know, social media talk, it's all over the feeds, right? Whether it's a new job or um, a new business, you know, with the big scissors or engagements yeah. or gender reveals or, you know, our, our ceremonies, all of the things. And those are wonderful. Yes, yes, yes. We should be celebratory. But what happens when there's infertility and when there's a diagnosis and our child will be nonverbal and we have to yeah. come to terms with that? What happens when there's a divorce or um, bankruptcy of the business, right? We ha This is part of the human experience. It's not all happy, you know, pictures. It isn't. And yet we don't post about our endings. We don't, True. you know, we don't, for whatever reason, some cultures say you don't air your dirty laundry. You don't talk about things outside of the family for a whole host of reasons. People aren't talking about the endings. And I think that once we can, I think there's a lot of room for improvement there, Lorraine, when we can embrace our endings and yeah. say, this was an unfathomable loss to me. I don't understand it. I may never understand it. Yeah. And um, I'm honoring myself by moving forward with my life. You know, yeah. create a ritual, have the faux funeral. Um, yeah. Do what you need to do. Again, ask yourself, tune in, be quiet and ask, listen, what is it you need? Your soul will tell you. Yeah. And it's really interesting because when, when you do, are used to talking to people um, about really personal things, you realize how many of us have experienced something very similar. So you're not you're not Robinson Crusoe on an island on your own. It's like this is extremely common. We just don't talk about it. That's right. But we think we're Robinson Crusoe, don't Crusoe. we? That's, oh, yeah. We do. We <laughs> it think, feels well, like it. <laughs> I'll have to build my treehouse because I'm going to be here on my island by myself for the rest of my life. But for sure. the other side of the island is is full. Yeah, <laughs> right. that's right. Yeah, wait, they, and they're all thinking that they're on their own too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, well, I think it's time to flip the book. So would you like to pick a book? Mm, We've got yes. one, two, or three. Oh, I just felt pulled to two. Two. Okay. So that's my... Your Insight and Awareness book. So it's what we refer to the big book. So you've got um, one to 430 pages to pick. 379. I don't know where that came from. We love it though when it does that. Yes. And you've got, we'll say one, two, you've got four paragraphs to pick from. Oh, I don't know why six is coming to my mind. Four, four paragraphs to choose from. Um, yeah. One. One. Okay. Um, so it's, it's a dot point. So are we as mankind unconscious to the reality of our own denial? Would you read that again? Yeah. So I'll, I'll lead you in a little bit better because it, above it says um, the resolution of unconscious energy, so emotional baggage stuff is what I refer to. So the, re the, the resolution of unconscious energy is driven by experience. 
The first dot point is, are we as mankind unconscious to the reality of our denial? And the second dot point is, has mankind chosen to be stagnant in in our unconsciousness? Wow. Hmm. Big. Wow. So and mankind I refer to, so this was written a long time ago, mankind I refer to as humanity I refer to as souls in a human body who realise their souls in a human body. Mm-hmm. Mankind is we're souls in a human body but we've for, forgotten mm-hmm. that we're souls in a human body. So mm-hmm. are we as a mankind unconscious to the reality of our own denial? Yes, and... You know, I think it's so, I just had this conversation last night, which is, again, uh, you know, this is, I, I see this as divine timing. I've had yeah. so many experiences that came out of my grief that I, I no longer say, oh, that's weird or crazy or nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. It is divine, right? It yeah. is, um, You're in I the ha- flow. I am in the flow, and the flow. I, yes, and I just had this conversation last night um, about are we, uh, you know, do do we live in a simulation? Are we aware that we can create our lives, or do we think that, you know, is it, it what is the difference between an, you know, um, between a godlike being and nature, no god, and and where where we kind of ended in this conversation was to say, you know, what's interesting is when one person shares information that resonates, that makes yes. sense, when we feel it, yes, when we can override what our brain is telling us, because our brain is what we've been taught. We're we're thinking about what we've been taught, but when we when we hear something. And it vibrates, it reverberates, we feel it, and we hold on to it and say, okay, I'm going to pursue that. Let me take a step in that direction. That's not what I've been taught, and that's not what I think. Maybe it's not what I believe, again, with your, you know, <laughs> but um, but this feels right, and I'm intuitively going to go toward it, right? And when we do that, when one person can shine that light on the path for us and and we go toward it, I think we can, we're, we start to come out of our denial. Right. And, um, you know, this is, this is a tough solution to come to when we think about the way the world works with political economy right now and who's driving media, right. And what voices are amplified and what voices are not. And, um, I think I'm going to be thinking about that for a long time. That's a terrific, terrific question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What are your, what are your thoughts? Well, well, my thing for denial, my understanding of denial, and I'm talking about coming from a position of working with people in their emotional chaos, right? Is that there's a truth there that we've decided we didn't want to know, you know, so it goes into ignorance and arrogance. Ignorance is you don't want to know. Arrogance is you believe you know something better, so you no longer look for the truth. You just stay Mm -hmm. with your own belief systems. Mm -hmm. 
And part of what I see our greatest denial is, is that we're ignoring, you know, we're in avoidance of the reality that we're experiencing. So denial is really like stripping away everything and seeing something in its raw, truthful version. And it's whether we like it or not is own that is where the change has to occur. You cannot change a thing if you're in denial of reality. So, no, let, no, no you, ma'am. No, <laughs> so you can't change a thing. So we've got we've got all these systems that aren't working in our favour. They're not serving us. We're serving it. Actually, we're being abused by most of them. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, and we can't change that until we actually pull out the denial and go what is it we are experiencing and how did we get to here yes and then all of a sudden you can see the map of how you got here so that can sometimes give you a map of how to get out of here yes yeah but if we if we're in denial then we you know the the head in the sand scenario nothing changes right and you know i i yes and i write about this um, I just touch on it, but you know, the way, if we look at attachment theory and the way, um, your clients are attached yeah. to their relationship that they then come to grieve, how do we detach? I believe that our ability to detach or not mm-hmm. is proportionate. It's related to how we are attached. So if we are an anxious avoidant attachment style, Oh, we, it reasons you'll see anxious avoidant attachment, detachment, you know, as the relationship is ending and, you know, a frantic grabbing and fixing and, you know, I love you, leave me alone. I can't live without you. Get away from me, you know, and whatever the relationship was like, if you have a healthy attachment style, great, then you can have a, you know, your, your base is going to be a healthy detachment style, but the denial is so important there, Lorraine, you're right, because if we're not able to examine this intimacy of ourself, if we don't really know ourselves well enough to understand our relationship, our reality, the map that got us here, it it's just, you know, pitch your tent in quicksand. Yeah, basically. And, and it's interesting because it's like, because I I do courses on um, teach people how to be self-reflective and and really what you're teaching them is how to objectively observe you know like so so and if you can do that then you can move into those denials and what always shocks us is how far we've been in denial you know when you go you you have you know an activating event I do okay. love that statement Good, yeah. <laughs> I'm adopting it um, yes but you have an have an app activating event and all of a sudden you realize all your you know you're breaking down your denial see i, I class evolution is a breakdown of denial and truth comes forward oh that's and you start brilliant. to value start to value truth but it's you've got to break down that denial and we always go into shock at how much we've been in denial and how much we knew but didn't know we knew oh exactly and there's grief in that and it looks like you yes. know the, the matryoshka dolls the russian nesting dolls. Yes. <laughs> you know you say okay i'm gonna look at this and you open it and then you say oh okay well and then you open it again and you realize why you yeah. chose that relationship or why that friendship was so important at that time you know we look at what else was happening in our lives that bring us to attach with these individuals who we're now grieving and 
oh, there's just layer upon layer, just doll after doll of opportunity yeah. to heal. And yes, it is painful, but oh, I go back to saying if we can get quiet and tune, yeah. uh, you know, nourish and consume content like yours, you know, feed your soul with healthy food and movement, nourish mind, body, spirit when you're grieving. Be careful about mindless scrolling. Be careful about what you're watching. You don't need anything that's going to further activate your fragile nervous system. Mm. For me, I loved TED Talks. TED Talks helped me feel smart again after feeling for a while, how did I miss this for so long? Yeah. How I, I thought I was rather intuitive and uh, aware, but how on earth did I miss this? Well, it wasn't that I, it wasn't that I missed anything. It was that it was so well disguised and but, right. But it is so important that we ask those questions and, mm. and nourish ourselves. Again, we will, we know what we need. And if we're mindlessly scrolling on the social medias or just binging something, reality TV, that's not helping us open those dolls and be reflective and yeah, grieve and it's and I see it a lot with narcissistic relationship breakdowns it's like be careful you, you need to inform yourself you know you need you need good information that informs you but when it becomes an addiction that you're you're feeding more and more of the same stuff um and especially if it's you know a lot of the time what we're trying to do is understand I call them the perpetrators you know, the, the perpetrator that caused the grief. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to understand them constantly without really identifying and understanding yourself and putting yourself as the priority, you know, it, then it becomes this um, quicksand that mm -hmm. drags you further and further in. And what you're doing is once you understand it, if you're giving yourself more and more information, you're just reaffirming the hurt, reaffirming the hurt, reaffirming yes. the hurt. There's a process that you do need to get information especially in those kind of relationships, because you need to go, oh, that's what that's about. But once you get it, it's like let yourself move forward. Exactly. In whatever direction, you know. It might be a sidestep every now and then. Absolutely. It's the cha-cha. It is. And, yeah. you know, we'll spiral. I, you know, I, I say that hope is a double agent working both yeah. sides. And so, yeah. <laughs> you know, one day we're hoping that, oh, the friend is, you know, it's it's my birthday and the friend always remembers my birthday and and we feel hopeful the friend is going to send a card and then the friend doesn't send a card and then we are sad but then we can hope for ourselves again you know all within a 24-hour period so yeah you know we're on this roundabout of hope and that's normal to cycle in and out of it it isn't just a it, it you know moving forward is a sidestep it's not a linear process that's right yeah, and even if you feel like you're stepping backwards, you just don't. You you you're going backwards to see something that you missed. That's yes. all right. That's exactly. part of it. Bring it forward. Yeah. That's right. Kick that rock over when you're back there. Take a look, and then go. Keep on moving. I, I exactly. Brilliant advice. So thank you, Stephanie. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Likewise, Lorraine. Thank you for the important work you're doing. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to have been in conversation. 